0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. Member FDIC.
1: This week on WealthTrack, making money while making a difference. Two experts on socially responsible investing, Lisa Wall and Laura LaRosa, explain how to do both next on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Investing to make money while making a difference has become a big business. U.S. assets in the categories known as sustainable, responsible, or impact investments grew 38% over the last two years by more than $3 trillion to $12 trillion. That means that 26% of U.S. assets under professional management, that's one in four dollars, of the $46.6 trillion in total U.S. assets are invested in what are called sustainable investing strategies. According to the biannual report from the Forum for Sustainable and Responsible Investment, known as U.S. SIF, money managers for institutional investors control about $8.6 trillion of the socially responsible investments, while about $3 trillion is controlled by individual investors or their money managers. Since U.S. SIF began tracking the data in 1995, sustainable and responsible investment assets have grown at a compound annual growth rate of 13.6%. What started out as a niche for faith-based investing in the 50s and 60s has gone mainstream. As socially responsible investing has evolved, so has its nomenclature and scope socially responsible went from avoiding certain so-called sin stocks and businesses such as alcohol, tobacco and weapons to taking into consideration a company's environmental, social and governance practices known as ESG. Well, that has now broadened to what's known as sustainable or impact investing, a term introduced in 2007, which considers the impact a company or industry has on a range of issues and stakeholders far beyond the shareholders. Companies are now evaluated on how they manage their employees, diversity in management and on boards, practices with customers, suppliers, communities, natural resources and climate impact. What's driving the boom in socially responsible investing? Is it truly sustainable? This week's WealthTrack guests are deeply involved in values-based investing. Lisa Wall has been the CEO of US SIF, the Forum for Sustainable and Responsible Investment, and the US SIF Foundation since 2006. US SIF and its foundation are leading voices in research, education, and policy initiatives for sustainable, responsible, and impact investing across all asset classes. Its 300 members represent $3 trillion in assets under management or advisement in sustainable investments. Laura LaRosa is Executive Director of Client Development at Glen Mead, where she oversees business development and relationships with clients. She is also a member of the Management Committee and Investment Policy Committee. LaRosa has been deeply involved in Glen Mead's impact investing strategies, which include U.S. equity strategies for both responsible ESG and companies with women in leadership. Established in 1956 by the Pew family to manage their trust, Glenmead Mead is now the world's third largest independent multifamily office with more than $40 billion in assets under management. I began our discussion by asking why sustainable investing is attracting so many investment dollars.
2: Uh, I think there's several reasons. Increasing concern about issues like climate change and how we're going to solve that, um, demand, uh, from a broad range of investors,
1: right? Where is it coming from? I mean, you know, the, the assets, obviously, institutional assets are huge, and they're the bulk of it. Why are institutional institutions and institutional investors driving ESG investing?
2: Well, what's interesting is that of that twelve trillion number, three trillion is retail investors. Right. So that's, I think, a really interesting piece because it means that. Uh, investors who may not have access to a financial professional to do their investing for them are finding products in the market that they can utilize in order Uh to use a sustainable investment strategy. And I think different institutional investors have different reasons. You've got demand, you've got mission, you've got fiduciary duty, you've got risk. The idea of sustainable investment is is in some ways the same as it was in the 70s. But you now have instead of only a values-based discussion, you also have a discussion about risk of right. not considering ESG issues and the opportunities uh, that the consideration of environmental, social, and governance issues present uh, in, in making better investments.
1: So why is it less risky right. to do sustainable impact investing? Because if you're
2: thinking about as a long-term investor, which is inherent in the in the definition of sustainable investment, to not be a quarter a quarterly investor but a, a years-long investor, right. you want to be looking at what are what is climate change going to do to our ability to access clean water? Um, What is going to happen if we still have boards that are 100% white male? Mm -hmm. I mean, what are our risks down the the pike if we're not looking at diversity in hiring? Um, What are our risks as a society if we're not bringing people's wages up to a level where you can have a reasonable lifestyle? These are all considerations you should be looking at in the investment process.
1: Right, no, and that long term lens is right. really critical. So, Laura, talk to us about your Glen Mead e- experience and uh, the fact that. You're getting much more involved in sustainable investing. And where is that coming from at Glen Mead?
0: Yeah, I I I think that's a great question. So, you know, we uh, basically started, our head of quantitative research and one of our big clients started a conversation in 2001 to have us say, say, could you build me a portfolio that will have an environmental tilt to conservation? That was early. That was early. Right. And so he said, sure, yeah, I think we can do that. We'll figure out some screens and we'll do that. And that was really the beginning. But we began to get much more serious about this about five years ago. And um, I think that, uh, you know, when you talk about risk, what you see when you think about environmentally Socially good governance companies—they have a lot less risk because they're much more diverse in their thinking. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's two components to the risk discussion, right? It's a it's a little bit different. Where we're seeing a lot of interest, obviously, is in the endowment and foundation world, especially in foundations, right? They the family foundations are interested, right. but also the rising generation of investors is very very interested mm-hmm. in this. And women, as a rule, are very interested in this. So it's it's really it's a it's a great thing to watch. Let's talk about performance, which is
1: something that has come up. Now, I mean, I've been a financial journalist for many years. And certainly, this was, you know, re- socially responsible investing was considered to be a fringe uh, type of investing. And, I, and the, the, the objection that always came up among professional investors was Performance, we're being paid. Our responsibility is to deliver performance, not to do good. That was always the delineating factor. But now we've got performance.
2: Well, what's interesting is that we always lead with that conversation. And one of the questions we've been asked by journalists since we launched the Trends Report is we haven't been asked the question about performance. And this is really the first time. Where that hasn't come up is one of the top three questions huh. because there's been so much data that's been put out mm-hmm. in studies we have a whole ream of them on our website about the fact that not only does performance not suffer but in many cases it can be a better a better predictor of performance i say the other piece is fossil fuel divestment for example has become a much bigger strand of mm-hmm. investment over the last few years because people want to take that out for climate reasons and you're seeing investors saying you can pull out that entire sector mm-hmm. of fossil fuels
0: and not see a performance drop. I don't know if you're seeing that among your clients as well. I you know, I haven't we haven't really looked at that particular asset a- aspect because we try to say, you know, it's best not to not to do away with a whole mm-hmm. entire sector so because of the diversification right. factor, but what we do think is that the negative screening is where you get where you get a lot of dispersion of returns. Right. If you have a positive tilting uh, portfolio and you tilt towards the companies that do really well from an environmental, social, and good governance point of view, or women in leadership, even um, that's where you see uh, really nice returns and and competitive returns. Actually, you can probably get outside. Re- we think sometimes you can get outsized returns because the companies are so well managed. Right. So so that's interesting because originally. Socially responsible
1: investing was—it was eliminating vices or Correct. eliminating tobacco and defense stocks and fossil fuels, whatever. But I know you said there's been an evolution, Laura, in, in that it's 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 more proactive. It's actually more positive, where you're looking at best practices. Yes, and, and so interest. it so it right. doesn't exclude necessarily the fossil fuels that Lisa was talking about, but you're looking for best practices within a, a sector. Okay. So.
0: Right. right, like yes, lowest, that... lowest carbon footprint. Right. You know, right. that's easy, right? right? So you can, you can then judge um, very real things and, and still have a, a well-diversified.
2: Yeah, there's, you can do a, a, ri- a variety of things. You can, you can do negative screening. You can do positive screening, which mm-hmm. is what Laura's talking about. You can do thematic investing. I'm, I'm going to invest in sustainable agriculture or mm-hmm. gender lens. And then you can do broad ESG integration where you're looking at a range of ESG criteria across your whole portfolio. All of these are very legitimate, well-used strategies
1: by investors. So it's a very, it's a very diverse approach, actually. So it you've got a be. lot of choices. correct? Mm-hmm. Let, let, let me ask you about some other trends, Lisa, uh, that you're, you, know, you were tracking shareholder resolution money, right, as well. Right. And, and this is – so explain what that is on ESG issues. It's, you had $1.8 trillion in the last two years. What, right. what, what is that? What is that? Mean. What that means is, is if
2: you own an individual stock as differentiated from a mutual fund, where right. you don't hold that stock directly, um, you can bring a shareholder proposal to a company if you own more than $2,000 of that stock, and you held it for all. a year. Only $2,000. And so when you mm-hmm. look at companies who have changed the way they manage climate risk, who have changed their um, policies around... Uh, gay rights, Mm -hmm. who have changed their policies around women being put on boards and in senior level management. A lot of that has been driven by investors who have brought proposals at annual meetings or engaged with the CEO and the board without a proposal, but sort of saying we're going to bring a proposal Mm -hmm. at the annual meeting. So the the change that investors have brought, including the New York City state, New York City uh, pension funds Mm -hmm. have been very active in this has been quite phenomenal in driving environmental, social, and good governance changes like say on pay at companies all across the country. And, and
1: Glenn Mead is getting more active as well in Absolutely, I fights. think
0: I think that that's one of the things that we, we we feel very strongly about. That it's important to vote the proxies, and right. it's important to really get involved in shareholder res- resolutions because that's where you can see change. And and that's you know that's what's driving a lot of this. You know you just can't you can't expect a company to just automatically do it on their own without a suggestion, right? Mm-hmm. How about you release the right. fact that what you pay men and women are equal because Correct. it would be really good for the price of the stock. Oh, okay. Right. You know. And, and what I would say is for, for a lot of the folks
2: watching this show who do own individual stocks, they probably get their proxy ballot yes. in the yes. mail and they probably then, <laughs> I hope, it recycle, it. Recycle, it. recycle it. Right. Recycle <laughs> it, right. Recycle it, right. And so it's actually really fun to do. You feel super empowered when, yeah. you, when you go and you look at what's behind this and do I really want to vote with management or do I want to vote a different way? And so... Don't recycle or throw those away anymore. You should, you should mm-hmm. definitely vote those proxies.
1: And, and and we're seeing a trend among institutional investors as well. And this is one of the things that Jack Bogle, of, of who used to be at Vanguard, obviously started the first index fund, um, has been pushing, is that institutional investors have been too passive. Mm-hmm, yes. And now we're seeing major institutional investors mean Vanguard, BlackRock. State Street that are taking a more active role. Um, Let me ask you, Laura, Glenmead has two ESG mutual funds, both started in late 2015, and they've both done quite well. So you've you've got a, a responsible ESG U.S. equity portfolio, large cap, and then you've got a women in leadership U.S. equity portfolio. I'm curious, the women in leadership to actually have a Mutual fund devoted to the women in leadership question. Tell us, you know, why that's an important criteria number one, and why you're doing it.
0: So it's interesting because you know, even though we are a privately owned company and it's and um, and we're we're you know forty billion in assets, there are nine people on our management committee. Mm-hmm. Five of us are women, mm-hmm. and so what what we find fascinating about that is that we think that we have. You know, very strong returns, and um, we're, we look at this and we say, we believe in this, so why don't we why don't we put this out as 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 a proxy so what's interesting about the women in leadership strategy is it uses all of the ESG components as well, but then has this layer of diversity that you can get by having more women involved in the company, so either a woman chair or a woman CEO. 25% of your senior management on uh, that are women mm-hmm. or you So that's
1: a criteria 25% of the senior management are, are women that's yes. that's how you get yes. into the portfolio as well. Exactly. Right. Or
0: or one of the four or or that you have a 25% women on the board. Right. So it it really does that what we have found when we do the d- due diligence is that that diversification really proves that the the companies that that have that kind of diverse thinking really are very profitable mm-hmm. and i and i think that brings up the other the the thing that we were talking about which is you know you have to be deliberate about impact investing. Mm-hmm. Not just say, "Okay, well, I own these really great companies in my portfolio, and they happen to screen really well, so I'm an impact right. investor." Uh, you, you really do have to be deliberate about it. So oh. I think I think that that's um, that's that's a new thing that we're seeing more, right? is what, people claiming, right?
2: And what I would say is that the data piece of that is super important because if right. you don't get good data that enables you to let's say screen, look at the look at how one let's say, a food manufacturer compares against another, it's very hard to make that choice. And so one of the things we've been very involved in at US CIF is trying to get the Securities and Exchange Commission to mandate required ESG disclosure so that investors could get a set of comparable data and right. so could other stakeholders who are engaged in this work. And so that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So that's required um, in some countries in Europe, right? That you... they're, they're moving towards more requirements around okay. disclosing that kind of data. We're still very much dependent on different kinds of voluntary activities Compliance for the most or, part.
1: Mm-hmm. It's still difficult, in other words, Lisa, to, to you've got to really do your homework to figure out what companies are actually practicing ESG uh, policies. Uh, versus um, those who say they are but aren't?
2: I would say that any investor has to do their due diligence, whatever the product. And so you start there. And so I always tell journalists, because I often get that question, is it's the same process. And so when we did the Trends Report several years ago, we saw that there was a big sum of assets that were unidentified ESG assets. So we didn't Mm. know what criteria they were using. It was called unidentified ESG integration. Very quickly, we did a report on that. And what we saw were there were multiple approaches, uh, some with more transparency than others. And so we really have made it a goal of ours to try to push best practice in the field and transparency and accountability. Because if you say you're doing ESG integration or any kind of sustainable investment approach, you must make it clear to the potential investor what the criteria are, how you consider them, what the decision-making process is, and what portion of the portfolio it's across period. If an investor
0: doesn't have that information, they should beware. You'll also start to see more Reporting services that will go out and actually do the work, right, and and be able to prove to you, you know, this this company right. has really good policies towards women. This company has, you know, a great uh, a great family uh, policy. Whatever whatever happens to be the the issue um, that you're focused on, you'll see many more companies that are getting involved in this now, and it's 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 because there's such a big interest in this field. Right,
1: Th- there is a you know you mentioned earlier that there is a a, a generational. Debate. Divide. And uh, Fidelity Charitable, a large donor-advised fund, just did a survey recently, and, and I think it was you know, over 70% of millennials and Gen Xers have made some sort of impact investing decision among their donor-advised funds, uh, but that only 30% of baby boomers or older have. Talk about the generational divide.
2: So the reality with the non-high net worth crowd, which of course is the majority of of, uh, millennials, is they're also very interested in this and how do you get product to them. So robo-advisors have been important for that. That's a kind of algorithmic kind of investing. There are SRI products in that. But we really believe that you need to bring the retirement market to have sustainable investment options because for the vast majority of Americans, to the degree they have investments at all, they're in retirement accounts. Mm. The majority of retirement accounts, whether they're public funds, So you work for a public entity, a government, um, or they're private funds. You work for a private company or a nonprofit like I do. Most of those uh, employers do not provide a sustainable investment option. If we can change that piece Mm -hmm. of the market, we change the investment
0: assets dramatically dramatically. And you see that yeah. you, we've seen a lot of that, uh, that that discussion going on. So I think that's really important. The other thing that we that we see from the private wealth point of view, and I think this is very very interesting, is it's always been hard to get that rising generation of investors, right, the next gen of the family, to to really get interested right. in, in in investing. Right. And impact investing is such a powerful message to them that it's easier to get them in the room to say, hey. Yeah, I would like to know what you're doing in my portfolio, and I would like to know that I'm invested alongside right. my values. This this actually makes sense, and it from a parent point of view, it's really very it's relieving. It's a way right? to get yeah. them engaged. Exactly, right. exactly. Right. So it's it's kind of it's really right. been fascinating.
1: What about the response by professional money managers? And I've certainly asked a number of them who just say, you know, my job is, again, is, is not to do good, it's to deliver results. But of course, we're going to invest with companies that have good governance practices. And of course, we're going to, you know, invest in, in companies that, that are, are following sound, you know, management practices that are taking care of their employees. Uh, you know,
0: what's, what is, how do you respond to that argument? I think you have to be much more deliberate than that. Yeah, okay. I, I think that's just a that's just a response, right? That's not what that's not what an investor should look for. An investor, to to Lisa's point, should be show me proof. Right. I want to see proof. I don't want to just know that you bought two or three companies that do, are doing really well. I want to know that you have a whole portfolio. Right. That is doing what you I asked you. to. exactly, yeah. exactly.
2: And I think one of the issues is the demand piece is driving yes some of these investment efforts to add options. And so what's yes. happening sometimes is that. The, the, the additionality of those options is happening before a lot of the firm's employees actually understand what they're doing. So right. you see some big firms with thousands of advisors who have a sustainability platform, an ESG platform, and maybe a fifth or a fourth of their advisors actually have uh, experience in this. And so a big piece of the field over the next 10 years is to educate them. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have partnered with the uh, College for Financial Planning to create the first sustainable investment designation. In the country, and so that will really change the ability of the of any investor to go to an advisor and say, "Do you know something about this?" Mm-hmm. Because the ones who have the credential over the next five to ten years will be the ones that are
0: probably more trusted to actually have the knowledge to do this. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think that you have to you have to move along with the with the tide, right? right. You're going to have to change the way you think about things as we go forward because it is going to be much more of a a definitive field uh, and not just, oh, we're going to be doing this by accident. Right. So, you know, I'm thinking $12
1: trillion in assets. It's 26 percent of all investable assets are now devoted to ESG. Um, You know, Lisa, can any institution or any money manager afford not to do and have an ESG approach?
2: Well, someone asked me at a conference that I spoke recently, how do you convince the skeptics? I said you convince the skeptics on the client walks. So the client's going to walk at some point. Uh-huh. So you best be in front of that.
0: Uh, so I think Your honestly, I think it's the same, the right. same exact thing that we're yeah. seeing, where people will come in and they'll, that all of a sudden the conversation is around, starts around uh, um, responsible investing, and you get this great connection. And so it's like wow, oh, that's a great idea. I didn't think about that. How do you do it? Show me how you do it. Right. Let's let's try it, right? Even if you don't do it 100%, let's put 5%, let's put 10%. You have to get some, some start. Yeah, there was an interesting study that 79%
2: of advisors had a client that asked them t- to provide a sustainable investment strategy for them, and only 39% of them actually were able were to able do to. it. Yeah. And so... There's a gap, right? That's a gap that will get filled by people smart enough to figure it out over the
1: next several years. Mm -hmm. At the end of every wealth track discussion, we ask our guests if there's one investment that we should all have one of in our portfolios, what would it be in a long-term diversified portfolio? So, Lisa, what would your response be? So, one thing we
2: haven't talked about at all is community investing. How do you place investment assets in underserved communities? And there's great options in every community, really, across America. Community development credit unions and community development banks. You can get information on those online, and it's cash, and it's low risk, and you can do great things to build up communities, urban, rural, Native American reservations. It's, it's just a, it's a game changer for people to know that they can do that. It's so bank with them. Yeah, you bank with them. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: So it's, it's kind of different than my investment portfolio. But instead of putting it in a money market fund, put it in one of these community.
2: Right. Yes. You remember after the, 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 the uh, financial crisis, there was this whole campaign, move your money. Yes. People were moving their money from big national banks to small local mm-hmm. banks.
1: That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Small local banks and credit unions. Great. And what would your
0: recommendation—again, this is for a
1: long-term yeah. diversified portfolio. So
0: I think, I think if you want to uh, have a really well-diversified portfolio, you should have impact assets in that. I, I feel very strongly that that is going to be a, uh, a field that is, is getting more interesting as time goes by. And there is a lot of proof that the, the better that the company is from an environmental, social, and governance point of view— the better the returns are, are going to be. So from, from there are a lot of different ways you can do it. Now you have ETFs. There are all kinds of strategies where you can go into your, and, and getting more so in the retirement mm-hmm. assets, because I mm-hmm. think that's going to be very important. Right. But you can go into your regular portfolio, and you can choose assets that are, that are impact aligned. And right. that's going to be, I, that, that would be something I would advise. All right. It's a growing field with a growing interest. So thank you both
1: so much for joining mm-hmm. us. Thank Lisa you. Thank Wall, you. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Laura Rosa, great to Everyone, Wealth Thank you. As well. Thank you. At the close of every Wealth Track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is think about your values and how you can apply them in some of your portfolio. As we just discussed, socially responsible investing covers a lot of territory. It can be a decision not to invest in certain industries or to invest in companies and industries involved in activities you believe in. It can mean investing in companies that are applying best management practices or that are involved in projects that will have an impact in underserved communities or countries. The great thing about investing today is that you can make a difference with your investments without sacrificing returns. It can be a winning combination. Well, next week, how to avoid running out of money in retirement. Personal finance experts Christine Benz and Frederick Axeter provide solutions. In this week's exclusive extra feature, Laura LaRosa and Lisa Wall discuss their path to embracing socially responsible investing. Also, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for watching. Have a wonderful weekend and make the week ahead a profitable and a productive one.